Welcome to Improv Interviews. I'm Margot Escott, a psychotherapist and improvisational theater teacher in Naples, Florida. Today we have an incredible guest, Jane Morris. Jane is a talented writer, actor, director, producer, and she and her husband, Jeff Malosky, co-founded the ECT Theater in Second City, as well as many other improvisational theater clubs. Jane has appeared in over 58 films and movies, including The Drew Carey Show and the last season of Veep. Currently, Jane teaches writing at the Fanatic Salon, where there's also incredible improv shows. It was an honor and delight to get to know Jane. Hello, Jane. Hello. I'm so honored to have you on today. You are one of the foremost women improvisers actors, director, writer, and so much more. I want to start right in and tell you what I'm jealous about with you. And that is the fact that you had a Palomino when you were growing up. I did, a quarter horse. Wow. And Quincy. She was beautiful. What was her name? Apple. Apple. Did you ever show or just? No, no, she wasn't full bred, so. She supposedly had some papers, but they were never produced. I bought her from an old man named Roy Owen. He was in his 80s, and he could no longer. He had two horses, and he couldn't care for them anymore, so I bought that mare. Wonderful. I always wanted to have, even though we had a little backyard, I always wanted to have my own pony. Oh, who didn't? <laughs> a dream come true. So when did you get interested in acting? Did it start in elementary school or when did you first? Yeah, I'd say so. I was the class clown, definitely. And, uh, and then actually when I was in high school, I wanted to be a musician. And I worked really hard at that. And I was an okay musician, but I wasn't. I, 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 I've always said this, that I feel, I feel I was lucky to have people around me who were really terrific that I could compare myself to and know I was not up to snuff. And I knew how hard I was working. Maybe I wasn't good at working hard. Maybe that was the problem, but I just wasn't really getting any better. And I hated music theory. This made my brain turn off. And there was something I was good at, which was comedy actually. And so when I w went off to be an actor. I went to Loyola University. I had amazing teachers there. Dennis Sajak, who ran Victory Gardens Theater in Chicago forever. And uh, Raul Johnson, who was the stage, you know, stuff, building sets, doing, working backstage. And, you know, they were just terrific, terrific uh, teachers. And <clears throat> I would say in my, by my junior year, ever, I did all, you know, I did whatever I was called upon to do, comedy, drama, whatever. But I always felt like I was, I couldn't tell if I was getting over when I, when I was doing a drama thing, you know what I mean? And, you know, you're in college, you're paying, playing parts that are completely unsuitable for you, like uh, the, the mom in Long Day's Journey and Tonight really me at like 19 come on so um so I just felt like I don't know but I was always good at comedy and when and when I'm doing comedy I'm getting laughs so you can tell if you're getting over or not period end of story and I made a conscious decision in junior year to only do comedy from then on and I did that even when I was studying directing I only directed comedy it's the only thing I even my uh 
he there was Dennis Sachek was my teacher and he broke it down into types of scenes, a suspense scene, a you know a, a climax scene of the you know that kind of stuff. And that's I found a climactic comedic scene, a a, a comedic suspense scene. A, that's what I did. So when did you take your first improv class? Oh and was it a really great experience? I don't know. I didn't really go the normal route of going into like a class or a school. Um, what happened was when I got out of college, we, the group of us that worked together in college wanted to like run a theater, do, do all that stuff. And um, we didn't because there was no real, I, when I started in Chicago theater, I couldn't get arrested. I couldn't, I, I never got hired for anything. I, I think I was probably really bad at auditioning. Um, Cause I, that's something they didn't really cover. I mean, you did audition in college, but they didn't really talk about it that I get anyway. So I ended up just in a weird kind of fluke in a, a sketch comedy group that was established already. Cause one of the women was leaving and my best friend talked this guy in the group into bringing me in and and i when i did my first show with them i knew they were all looking around at each other going where did you dig that up like oh my god what have we done and then the, but it was just because i it was a sketch show and the, the running backstage changing costumes knowing the next scene the next time i did the show i was fine and they were all like oh Oh, we get it now, right? So then I was part of that group, which was called the Unnatural Acts, and I worked with them. And we actually had this sort of smug attitude, like, we write, you improvise, right? So, and it was a weird phenomenon because earlier on in Chicago, the scene was that they wanted sketch comedy because it could be reviewed, right? And you couldn't really review improv because the show was different every night. And by the time I was well into my second or third year with Unnatural Acts, that was changing. And the club owners didn't care about being reviewed. They cared about having a new show every night. So it started to flip. In, and also at that point, that's when improv in, in uh, Chicago had just blown up. I mean, it was, you know, originally it was Second City, period. And then I.O. was happening and, you know, all these other places were going on. Well, this is before I.O. actually quite a long time before that. But still, all these people that were learning this skill and, and this craft had nowhere to go. So they were doing club prov, right? All that club prov happened. So you kind of learned trial by fire. And what happened to me is after Non-Natural X finally, you know, grew out of itself or whatever happened there, um, I was approached by a friend to be in this children's theater thing. And uh, we did that. And, and she was connected to this. I was trying to make a long story short here. I ended up with this company of people who had a theater, but it wasn't a theater. It was a church, an empty church. So it had pews and this gigantic stage because that's where the altar had been, right? And they built a stage, put in lights and sound and all that. And then their thing kind of fell apart, but I had come in with my friends and people, and we finally did what we wanted to do in the first place when we got out of college, 
which was to start this theater. So we had the, but then mm-hmm. right around the corner, literally was uh, St. Nick, which was what David Mamet was in his heyday right then at St. Nick, St. Nicholas theater. And we couldn't compete with that. And we realized that very quickly. So we switched to booking a comedy act of some sort, a stand-up or whatever, that had a following. And then we booked them and we would open for them. And we formed a little improv group. One of the guys that worked with us was really into improv. He had worked with one of the versions of Reification Company which was the first really big uh, company outside Second City in Chicago. And, I mean, there were a lot of people in it. Jeff's group was working back then. Um, Jeff's group, the Comedy Rangers, the original Comedy Rangers, when I was doing Unnatural Acts, we were playing the same places on off weeks. So for years we did this. We were in, the, we were in a, um, a newspaper review of three. It was We were the three best comedy groups in uh, Chicago and it was, uh, Chicago city limits, original comedy Rangers and, um, the unnatural acts. And we never met because we were all, you know, we were there when they weren't there. Right. So we never met. So anyway, so then we opened this thing where we, we would come in our little group of six people that were just friends from college. We would come in and we would work on a game um, we would work on a game for two hours and then we'd go drink. And we did that twice a week. And it was just trial by fire. You know, we would, we would work for two hours on, uh, you know, emotional switch or whatever. And then, then the next night we'd work on conducted story or whatever. And, and then we would do the show that week. And we learned what worked and what didn't work by if the audience was with us or not with us. Now, what was this time period, Jane? This would have been, uh, we opened that theater in 1979. And then out of that, I got hired at Second City, uh, maybe three years later. And did you have to audition? Around 81. Did you have to audition for them? Yes, I did. I was terrified. And then actually uh, they were, they were filling one slot because Noni Breen, uh, Danny Breen's wife was in the company, the, in the touring company and she was moving on to main stage. And um, so they were filling her slot in the touring company. And uh, I was really terrified. And they, I guess at some point I said to my, at that point I had been improvising all every weekend for years, you know, and doing comedy in front of large audiences. And so I I was like, why are you scared? Like, this is what you've been doing. Just do what you do. Just go do what you do. It either works or it doesn't. Like, you have no control over that end of that. And, uh, and I got hired. And had you taken formal classes anywhere? No. You're just a natural improviser. I'm not sure I ever have. I'm trying to think. I was in a couple of Dell classes. But I didn't get up. There was like 400 people there. Wow. And uh, well, I'm exaggerating, but it was a large group. I mean, 30 people easily in that room. I did that a couple times. And that wasn't very fruitful for me because at the time, he was trying to get people not to be so glib and, yeah, you know, talking head comedy. Right. And so 
he was doing this slow comedy thing where you weren't allowed to talk for a certain length of time, physical time, and then you could talk and then you had to wait so long before he responded. Now let's just get people out of being so ridiculously glib and um, was unbelievably boring to watch. It was just, you know, not fun at all. So I did that a couple times and, and then I had Dell as a director only so very small peripherally because when I was at second city, I understudied a lot on main stage. At this point we were, I was either in the tour co or the ETC and Dell was directing. And I learned a lot actually from him actually being mean to me and just kind of blowing me off. Cause it really, believe it or not, what he said to me when he was like, ah, blah, you know, was really helpful. And uh, don't do that, do this, you know? And I'm like, oh, 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 shit. I didn't know I was supposed to do that, you know? So uh, I get it now. I get it. And so that was helpful, but that's it. I don't, I really don't. I mean, they, oh, well, they did do workshops at Second City. Um, and so I was in, the, and they were mandatory. And some of them were good and some of them were awful. And uh, Bernie did one, um, Bernie Solins. Oh, that's cool. DePaulo had kind of an ongoing thing. Oh, Larry, uh, Larry, Michael Gelman uh, had a workshop with us for a while. My favorite one, the one I learned the most from, was a guy named Bill Matthew, who now goes by the name of Aloudon. He was the musical director at Second City before Fred was there. And they were, may have been roommates uh, at some point in time, but they, they knew each other. And it was Aloudon that got Fred hooked up to Second City. So he'd been long gone. He was just a, you know, a, a, a legend by that time, Aloudon was. And he came back and he told two workshops. One of them was about how um, you, the person on stage, are filling someone else's time. What are you filling it with? And it was really about time. And that was amazing, an amazing workshop. And the other one was, um, which was even more to the point, Bernie at the time was trying to get us to, you know, do scenes that were about something. And he would, we'd have to go in his workshop, you'd go in and uh, you'd get the newspaper and you would have your little team of people, three, four people out of, you know, the workshop, you'd get into your little groups and then you'd pick a story and then you'd have to find the irony of the news story. And then you'd have to figure out it, you know, improvise a scene about this irony. And that was just utterly useless to me. I, I, I can't tell you how, completely at sea I was for that. And during that time, Aloudon came back with this workshop, which was about, I don't know if he like looked at what was going on and went, well, here's an easier way to do that or whatever. And Jeff and I have argued about this, by the way, because this to him is like the worst thing you could possibly do or something like he thinks it's really bad. For me, it's where I live as an improviser. And Aloudon's thing was, Look at this news story. How does that make you feel? And maybe it makes you feel angry, which is mostly probably what a thing would be or whatever. But it wasn't about, oh, so I'm angry, so that's what the scene's about. It was like, oh, yeah, but why does it make you angry? 
because that's the irony, isn't it? The reason you're angry is because the ideal doesn't match the reality. That's why you're angry. What you want isn't reality. And that's where your scene is in that space. And so that just was kicked the barn doors open for me, Aloudin did. So thank you, Bill Matthew Aloudin. That's great. Now, when did you meet uh, Jeff, who is one of the most incredible people I've ever spoken to? It's like non, nonstop. Yeah. And I'm sure he's a great teacher. Uh, yep. How did you I learned a lot from Jeff, too, by the way, because yeah. during all that stuff that I just told you about, especially the workshops at Second City, um, at that point, we were sort of going together. And I actually learned to some extent what I learned through Jeff, because Jeff, like, got it right away. And I was just like, well, you know, I don't know what my but him sort of explaining it to me and pulling me through it made me understand it. So even then he was a like really good teacher, but um, where did we meet? Okay. So we had this weird connective thing where we were in the same places, but not at the same times. Then I had that theater and I think we had a workshop there once with, I think it was Rob Riley that taught it. And I, I, I know Jeff, no, no, wait, I've taken it back. I met Jeff at Zaney's. That's where I met him. Um, and I had met other people in his group, but not him. I was, okay, so when I was with the Comedy Showcase, my theater, one of the guys in the group, who was kind of the head of the group, would not let us play anywhere but in our own theater. I don't know why, but he had this thing. We could never go outside this theater and play. And all of the rest of the group wanted us wanted to. And I still find it, when I look back on it, really remarkable that we were a group of adults who let one person tell us what to do and not do, which was weird. And um, so anyway, uh, he quit at some point. And we, we literally ran out the door and went to Zany's, like days later. And I was on stage at Zany's and Jeff walked into Zany's and Zany's the stage and the door that you enter were next to each other. Like literally when you walked into Zany's, you had to go all the way down this long aisle and around the back into the house. So anybody coming in, you could see them from the back as they walked in to come around and watch the show. And I saw this guy come in and I, I didn't even really see him cause he had a hat on and he was from the back and something about him caught my eye. I can't, I don't know. I had like, I always compare it to um, in a Nancy comic when she finds a dime and there's a dotted line going from her eyeball to the dime. That's what it was like. And um, so, uh, so that, so anyway, so then we met, um, he was hanging around and Zanies had been a, uh, um, a, a brothel before it was a comedy club. So upstairs where the com comics hung out, was a, it was this like brothel room. It was all like red velvet and mirrors and shit. And that's where everyone hung out. We went up there and hung out. And then during that period of time uh, was when they were shooting the Blues Brothers movie in Chicago. And the Blues Brothers had um, 
made, okay, so straight across from Second City is a very famous place called the Earl of Old Town. And behind the Earl of Old Town was a house. And they, Belushi and Aykroyd, made a bar out of that house. It was like a speakeasy. And Jeff was already working at Second City. This is before I auditioned. And he already was working there. And he took me to the, the, the speakeasy, which was this whole big, exciting thing. So that's how we met. It's pretty cool. That's way cool. And you have two sons? We do. Lovely. How has being a mother inspired you in your work at all or been fodder for what you'd write? It was when we were at Second City because the kids were little then and we uh, some of the scenes were about pregnancy and childbirth. One was about kids and their superheroes and their um, the parents struggle to be like nonviolent and then your kids drive you nuts and, you know, next thing you know, you're screaming at them. Uh, so, yeah, there was that kind of stuff. Well, let's go back to 19, was it 1984 when you and Jeff started the ECT Theater? 83. 83. A friend of mine was studying there then, and he said originally ECT was in the basement. No, it wasn't. It's always been where it was. All right. It never moved. Basically, if you went into Second City, the building where Second City is, you go up some stairs. If you go to the right... You'll, you'll be at the box office and it, the offices. And if you go to the left, there's a bar. And next to the bar is big doors. You go through the big doors and you're in the Second City main stage. If you walk all the way through the Second City main stage, you can go out the back door on the side there. You do go down a couple steps, but small, not like way down. I'm talking like 10 steps down. That's where the ETC is. They literally share a bar. There's a bar in the front of Second City, and there's a bar in the back. The bar in the front is public, but the bar in the back is the service bar. And ETC shared that bar. And tell me about why there was a need for ECT at that time, and what what you and Jeff saw as a need there. We didn't see a need exactly. What happened was, you know, there's six slots on the main stage. You're in the touring company in the hopes of, being on the main stage at the point where this was all happening. There were three touring companies with six people each. So 18 people are vying for one spot. And at the time, all of a sudden Bernie was very, this is my opinion. Okay. So I'm just, you know, saying I'm sure not everyone felt this way, but to me, Bernie was very mm, whimsical in his, idea of what he ought to have on main stage. And so like one year he, when he was holding auditions, he would want you to do a thousand accents. And the next year he'd want you to be able to do, you know, improvised songs. And the next year it'd be something else. And our particular company was a, we were troublemakers. We were. And cause we, but weirdly we were only doing what we thought second city was and what, you know what I mean? What we were taught you were supposed to, do as the second city artist somehow this was problematic and um and we wanted to write our own material and be on main stage which is why you're there right so there was a point where we all had auditioned year after year whenever there was a slot open you had to wait for somebody to die you know to even have a slot open and then bernie would he just 
passed us all by. He, this marvelous company of people, they were amazing. Dan Castellaneta was in that company. Homer Simpson, you know what I mean? Like, these were great people. Um, We were really bitter because there was kind of no place for us to go. And, but there was a, the stage back there that um, Paul Sills had done story theater there. And then there was this other company named the Practical Theater Company, and they were doing their show back there. Now, that was Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Brad Hall, Gary Kroger. They were amazing back there. But we were like, you know what? You're no more amazing than we are, and why do you get to do a show and we don't? So what they would do is they put our touring company on. Like, they would play it one week, and we would play the next week. And we were doing the tour coast show, which is a best of second city sketch show. But what we did is we took, we wrote scenes while we were out on the road and we came back to the ETC with them. And uh, we slowly replaced the tour coast show with our own material, which was super subversive thing to do. And um, that's how it was born. And so were you a writer from the get-go? I mean, as a kid, did you like to write? When did you Yeah. You- yeah, when I was in in uh, high school, my friends, a couple of friends and I became everyone's campaign managers when they were running for any class office because we would do sketches and do a whole like campaign with slogans and sketches and yeah, yeah. When I was a little kid, I was in 4H and they had this show called Share the Fun. And you would do some act, and me and my cousin would do an act together. Yeah. That's cool. So I want to talk more about, but are you still teaching writing? You have a writing. Yeah. Are you, still, are you teaching that at the Fanatic? or? Yes. Yes, that's great. And a lot of good materials come out of your classes. I well, know. we've done, the last time I counted, which was two years ago, we had done 14 shows. One-person shows, hybrid shows, all kinds of shows. So by now we've done more like 20 shows out of there. Incredible. And I looked at your IMBD and it said that you had like 58 film and TV credits, 58. Mm -hmm. So did you ever feel like you wanted to just do acting or was it a good life doing acting and improv and writing? Well, it's not a choice, is it? I guess you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't been in a lot of films, so I don't know. Well, if it was my, you know, what I always hate is when they have on like Steven Spielberg or somebody and they're interviewing them and they go, who do you choose your next project? He goes, well, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I don't get to choose my next project. I hope to get hired by somebody. Right. I understand. But, but, uh, you know, the Drew Carey show, which was super fun. I didn't realize how long ago it was until I was looking at some of the. I know. Wow. Wow. I was younger then. I think you were. Me too. So were they. Yeah, really. And then um, being on Veep, that's one of my favorite. It was one of my favorite shows. And I love Julia Louis-Dreyfus. I just love her. Yes, she was brilliant back then. She was in my touring company. When I first got hired Second City, Julia and I were the two girls in the touring company. And yeah, she was as brilliant then as she is now. 
that must have been a fun project. Dave, uh, I don't know if Dave Pasquisi was on that episode or not, but uh, he's certainly a great actor. Yeah, he's a marvelous person. And um, I just love them all. I just love them all. So it's a little star worship there, but. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's never too late to be in the movies, though. You know what? No, it isn't. It's never too late to do anything. It's never too late. I keep believing that. I'm having a big birthday this year. I won't oh, good for you. I think you're younger than me. Um, I just act immature. Ah. So when you were working with Julie, how many other, how many men were in the cast at that time of the Turing Company? It was four and two. Four and two. Two women, four men, always. And I was the person that broke that one. Uh, we had three women and four men. And then when I took the helm as director, we had four women and three men. Wonderful. Because, you know, back in the day, it was just a, like a couple of white guys doing improv, it seemed, for a while. Yeah, and, yeah. And they even talked about, there used to be women comedians versus male comedians, that kind of sexist kind of rift. Have yeah. You, you done stand-up as well? I haven't. haven't but you I have great admiration for it. It's not a snobby thing. I, th I think stand-ups are terrific. I love to watch them. I love to watch them hone their craft. I, I have great admiration, but no, I don't do it. So let's talk about teaching, because that's what I'm really interested in. And how many classes are you teaching right now? Oh, just the one, although like today, Jeff's in Chicago, so I did teach his class for him. Um, but I just do the one Wednesday. What, and is that the writing class? Or is that yeah, it's a writer-performer thing. But you've taught for a long time, haven't you? Yeah, pretty much my whole life. Because even when I was in college, I, I did a, a children's theater touring company in my hometown I was hired to be the director of that we toured around all the little towns around Illinois and uh, around or in Illinois and uh so yeah now, were you old enough to know um Paul Sills at all uh, yeah uh but I never worked with Paul Jeff did and because you remember Paul Sills is the person who actually built the ETC okay. stage okay so yeah I was around Paul was that the fairy tales? I love what he did with those fairy tales. And there was a time when you couldn't go see theater without seeing story theater, and now no one remembers what it is. And it's brilliant. It's a brilliant thing. Somebody found some lost um, video, I think, recently, and I just yeah, it's on YouTube now. I think. Yeah, I think so too. But that's Valerie Harper and you know, Dick Shaw and yeah, that's an amazing Avery. I think did it. Avery Schreiber. It is amazing. So, you know, when you were teaching, um, you've seen, you, you've obviously you've been to some classes that weren't so great, okay? And, and classes yeah. were great. And in your experience, and what, what helped you, and what did you learn from teachers that were really good teachers? What kind of things did you learn, techniques or attitudes? Gosh, that's a hard question. I think... I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say that probably the best things were the gaps that needed filling, like the story I told you about Bernie trying to make us do irony and the other guy finding a quick way in, at least for me. And so one thing I do tell the people that I work with is go to other people too, because sometimes it's just the words that teacher uses for this thing 
will get in your head better than the words that teacher uses for the same thing. And uh, so I don't know. I'm not quite sure how to answer that. I, there's so many things at so many different times that people that I've learned. I, I there was a, there was a um, thing I remember Jay Leggett saying, I can't remember if he was teaching or what he was doing, but he, he talked about um, how Dell said that in the moment where, when you're improvising, you stand on stage and I say something and in the moment it takes for you to respond, the possibility of response is infinite and the audience is at least subliminally aware of that. And that's kind of the magic of improv. And that has really stuck with me, but it wasn't, it was Jay quoting Dell, Jay Leggett is no longer with us. And uh, it's that kind of stuff, you know, where you just kind of go, oh, oh yeah. I mean, what was Dell trying to do? He's trying to get everybody to stay in discovery because when we all land together, audience and players, that's the laugh, right? So anyway. It's, it's, uh, it's, I guess maybe because I never studied with one person per se, I've, it's been a potpourri of things people said that helped me work. And like, I remember Ryan Stiles telling me one time that he had to know the where to do the scene. And I don't need to even know where the scene takes place. I need to know what the scene's about. And I've always been like that. Once you tell me what the scene's about, I can play. And or even if I decide what it's about, I can play. I I think that a quote of yours was acceptance creates possibilities. Yeah. I think that's a great quote. Acceptance creates all kinds of possibilities and that you can justify anything. Yeah. It's pretty cool. So you te- you you teach different forms of improv, but you've taught a lot of games. Is that correct? I did. There was a time, and that's because of that, that first group I told you about. We only did games. Um, we taught each other how to do them. Uh, we had one guy that was pretty good at games and, you know, did whatever. And uh, can you not, can, sorry, sorry to Nate. My son is listening to something while I'm trying to talk to you. Uh, now I'm completely, what were we talking about? Uh, we were talking about games. Oh yeah. I only taught, we only did games. And so because remember how I told you we used to rehearse for like two or three hours and do one game for that entire time, or maybe we do three hours and do two games an hour and a half each. We just drill them. I got really, really good at games. I can do them in my sleep. And so I'm sort of the game queen. If you want to learn how to play the games, I could teach you. I just actually have no interest in that whatsoever now. Anymore. I don't. Yeah. Um, I, I get it. I, you know, obviously, I, you know, they're good skill drills. They are. Uh, they're very, very good skill drills, but I don't want to teach them and I don't want to watch them. And you don't have to. But, um, no, I don't have to. Um, I, I was listening to you talking to Dave Brzezowski and talking about the difference between the Spolin teaching of games versus the theatrical experience 
of games. Yeah. What would that difference? Can you explain that difference? Well, that's what Jeff calls club prov, right? You know, here's Spolin and it all, it's all very pretty and slow and uh, it's all beautiful. It's it's the Bible of improv, right? There's nothing, I'm not saying this is a way of it's wrong. It's brilliant and, and gorgeous and can be deep and wonderful. But when you do that in front of a crowd of people drinking, you're no, you know what I mean? Like it's no, they, you have to be quicker and funnier and, you know, you have to stay engaged with them and do things to keep them engaged and, so club prov is born, right? It's faster, it's stronger, it's edgier. It's every, every sort of breaks some of Viola's rules, really. Um, and that's what I was weaned on, club prov. So if you I never you, knew anything about Viola. Okay. So when you're teaching Jeff's class, are you teaching any specific format? Or are you just teaching skill sets? Or what are you doing with that? Jeff? Well, Jeff's thing is is about a particular skill set um, that he feels like every, that you don't need all those other 400 rules of improv if you're just doing these three things. And there's a, a real lot of truth to this, right? So after te- all this teaching that I've been doing all this time, I, I got a little bit burned out on it, not terribly burned out. I did children's theater for a while. I'm 100% burned out on that. What the idea of it makes my spine tingle, but um, but I you know I, I just got to a point where I, I didn't care if I taught improv or if anybody learned it I don't care, and but Jeff's approach I could teach that all day really I'm happy to teach that I think it's really valuable it's quite different it kind of again kicks the barn doors open um, on what's possible with improv. So basically, I try to make sure people are working in that um, skill set. And then I try to apply it to other things that are out there. Like today, because Jeff wasn't there, I developed a game a long time ago called Adjacent Space. And uh, so some of the people have done Adjacent Space and some have not. And so we did adjacent space, but we applied Jeff's working theories to that game. And it was so interesting what happened. Uh, we had really had a great time playing today. So you said there were three things that he always needs to cover. Is it too big to discuss now or that the three, there were three? Oh, well, the main thing he talks about, and I'm sure when you talked to him, he talked about engagement. Yes. Super important. He talks about breaking open the abstract, which is what the scene's about. But it's not just, you know, the word, uh, what do we have today? The word atrophy. And the kid on stage couldn't quite define it. And I helped him by saying it's uh, death through disuse, right? So that, then what Jeff does is that's the where and the relationship. And uh, they played brothers, and one of the brothers had been in a coma for 30 years. But they were in um, Walmart, and every everything in Walmart was something this other guy had never seen. 
um, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. They were in Walmart. They were in Toys R Us. And the really funny mm-hmm. thing about it was the one guy was trying to explain to the coma guy how Toys R Us is out of business because this other guy put every store online. So everything's online. So it was just this really death by disuse, right? Their relationship, their place, everything, it just folds all out. So, so, and then the other thing that Jeff really focuses on, and and the players don't quite do enough of his kinesthetic motion, because that then you're moving because the other player is moving, and you're not building a castle, as Jeff would say. You know, who cares if you can do a lot of mime? I want to move with you, respond to you. And if I respond to you physically, I will also respond to you emotionally. And now, um, I know we've talked for quite a bit, and I'm going to let you go pretty soon. But have you done some work in dance and movement as well? Yeah. 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 I, when I was a kid, I, I took dance. And uh, when I was in college, the courses that I took were about how your, bo- your body is your instrument. So I was a very physical comedian as a kid, very pratfall kind of person. And, um, but yeah, really, really heavy duty Grotowski stuff. Yeah. I think dance is so important and movement because a lot of people become a talking head. And yeah. No sense of there's no kinesthetic. I teach some mindfulness and people have no sense of their bodies. They become right. disconnected. Do you meditate at all or no? But you watch a lot of TV and you watch news TV. Now, you don't watch a lot of TV. You have it on in the background, I heard. It's white noise. That's right, yeah. But it's news in the background. Pretty much. Doesn't that drive you bonkers? No, it's background noise. Oh, okay, all right. Well, what is your favorite thing to do these days, Jane? Um, I work with these. this. Work with the writers, writer-performer people. And we've actually then added the um, uh, improvisers to that mix. So when they're working on a piece, when it needs to be filled out, uh, not filled out in terms of their writing, but filled out for an audience. In other words, you have three pieces that will become a show, but you only have 20 minutes. I can't, but you need to test it out in front of an audience. Right. I can't drag an audience over for 20 minutes. But what I can do is have you do a piece and then let the improvisers, because they, Jeff's group is trained to work with idea improvise based on what you're saying right and do a show that way and we do these hybrid shows and those are super fun and as much as i love working on movies and tv i much prefer working live that's great i'm sure your classes are dynamic and really great i wish i was in california i'd take one yeah that'd be fun it'd be great well you're just a wonderful person and um you're the first most you're the most disinterested in improv person <laughs> I've ever interviewed. I still love it. I do it all the time. I just don't have a, you know, uh, if you, if you, if I, if you would call me in to work with you, I'd be, I'd love it. You know, I'd be, have a great time and we do a class and I, but I just don't go seeking it out anymore. You know, I don't, I have stuff that's filling, filling my artistic soul. So you're one and that's still part of that mix, very much so. Well, you're very politically uh, active, at least uh, where I follow you. Um, I don't know how active you really are, but you're certainly in tune with all the issues going on, which uh, is yeah, thing, is, uh, you know, 
but whatever. Um, so yeah. What are you doing tonight? Are you going out tonight? No, um, we have a show at the theater tonight. I have to go set up for that and get that all together. Tomorrow I have a big long workshop that I'm part of, not teaching. And um, then I have a day off and then I go back to work with the writers. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed getting to know you. And of course, if I ever make it to California, there's so many people I want to study with you and Jeff would be fantastic. Yes, thanks so much. I really appreciate your time. And thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh,